Well, hey, everybody, how are you this morning? Come on, you got to talk back, got to be engaged today. Uh, I went to Catholic school. Anyone, anyone go to Catholic school? Anyone have the blessing of going to Catholic school? All right, several of us did. I did. I went to Catholic school uh, most all of my life, a little, little bit of mainly grade school, a little bit of uh, Catholic high school. And uh, I've, I've talked many times about our school principal, uh, Sister Mary Stephen. Uh, was her name, uh, rather large um, sister, and uh, she would put the fear of God in you if she needed to. Back then, they paddled you. How many went to school where the, you, you could get a whipping with a board, right? Yeah, that's the kind of school I went to, and, uh, and I got it, and I got it. Not a lot, but I did, I did get it one time, I'll never forget. But I've told many stories about how Sister Mary Stephen was one of the most influential people in my life, such a blessing. Love that lady, and uh, she's she's in heaven now. But there were there were some other nuns at this school, and uh, some of them I did not like. There was we're not on the air, right? Okay, I can tell her name. Her name was Sister Patricia Marie. She was from Mobile, Alabama. And in the building, we didn't have a big school; it was a small school, only just a, a couple of buildings. You could just walk between them. But her classroom was in the basement. Of, of the kind of gymnasium, and then uh, upstairs was Sister Stephen, who I liked. Sister Patricia was downstairs, and here's why I didn't like Sister Patricia, because Sister Patricia played favorites. She had teacher's pets, and we would have some kids in the class who were bad students. They would interrupt class all the time, but she liked them because they were cute. Literally, she called one of them CP for cutie pie. And whatever cutie pie, cutie pie could do anything. He could be late. He could mess up. He could not get his homework done. He could fail a test. And she still would favor him. And just, you know, she would say good things about him all the time. And if, if, if she needed someone to run an errand or pass out papers, you know, whatever, she would always have CP to do it. Cutie pie, cutie pie, cutie pie. I can't even say it. Cutie pie. <laughs> anyway, this goes on and on. And then she had a couple of other favorites. Anyone have a teacher that had favorites and it was just is evident? Well, finally, I got so mad by it because these kids were, they were disturbing the class. We couldn't, we couldn't uh, even learn anything because she's just so enamored with these kids that I wrote a letter to Sister Stephen. And I, I, I told her what was going on downstairs. She didn't know it was all happening uh, downstairs. And uh, that was on a Friday, and I, I put it on her desk. Monday I came in, all of a sudden the classrooms were changed. No longer was Sister Patricia's class in the basement. It was moved right beside Sister Stephen's class. My little letter brought an end to that horrible injustice. <laughs> Sister Patricia was on her best behavior now. There's no more teacher's pets. You see, there's something about people showing favoritism that just bothers us. But then I remember one day when I was maybe... I don't know, 14 years old, 13, 14 years old. I was the youngest of four kids. My, my, my other, oh, older brothers and sisters, they had moved out. One had passed away, but my sister came home one day, and she walked over to our refrigerator. She looked in the refrigerator. You know what you do when you come home. You look in the fridge, right? You, your kids don't do that? Oh, why are, I, David, why are you doing that all the time? Come back home and just looks in the fridge. Anyway, my sister looked in the fridge, see if there's any leftovers, anything to eat. She didn't see anything and pressed her. Then she opened the freezer, and in the freezer were jello pudding pops. Does anyone remember what jello pudding pops? I don't know if they still make them or not. It's one of the most glorious experiences your mouth will ever have. 
But my sister saw those Jell-O pudding pops, and she said, what are these? And I was like, well, it's Jell-O pudding pops. She's like, we didn't have Jell-O pudding pops in this house when I lived here. We all moved out, and your mom's favorite, and now she spoils you with Jell-O pudding pops. And I said, oh, man, oh, man. I didn't like it when my teacher was playing favorites. My sister didn't like it when she said mom loved me more, which was probably true. <laughs> There's something about favoritism that it just, it, it, it bothers us. And in the book of James, we've been studying through this, written by the half-brother of Jesus. Favoritism had crept its way into the church. And James gets so upset about it that he writes what we're about to read in James chapter 2. And he's going to talk to us about this today. And really, it impacts all of us. Somebody say, it's about me. It's about me. It, it, all of us are guilty of what James is going to talk about. Let's go to James 2 and verse 1. He says, my brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality, favoritism, prejudice, Partiality. He says, he says, don't hold the, the gospel, the faith of Jesus with partiality. And then he kind of gives a hypothetical, but it's probably not actually a hypothetical. This is probably happening in the church. And so he kind of gives an illustration here without naming names. Look at verse 2. He says, for if there should come into your assembly, your church, like we're meeting today, a man with gold rings, fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes. And you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes. And you say to him, hey, you sit here in a good place. Like, man, wait, front row. We got a great seat for you. But you say to the poor man, hey, why, don't you, why don't you stand over there? Maybe, maybe somewhere in the back. Or, you know, if you can't find a seat, just, just sit on the floor. Verse 4, have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you've dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you're called? If you really want to fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, he says you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Then, if you do that, then you will do well. But if you show partiality or favoritism or racism or prejudice, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. James is pretty upset because they're treating the rich people one way in the church and they're treating the poor people a totally different way. And so James is trying to bring some correction here. And he says, listen, guys, this might be acceptable in the world. The world outside of the church might operate that way where we honor people with more money. I mean, all you got to think about is if you jump online, go to Ticketmaster, and you want to uh, buy a, a ticket to a concert or a sporting event, the more money you got, the better seats you get, right? The more money you have, you can, you can get a box seat. I mean, you can, you, know, you can be front row. The more money you have, the, the better seats you're going to get. He says, James says, I understand that's, that's how the world works. He says, but that spirit cannot be in the church. That spirit cannot be among God's people. And he says, if you're going to treat people like that, it is sin. 
And I think one of the reasons that James kind of comes out so hard at this is because he knows what it's like to grow up poor. He and Jesus would have grown up in a poor family. They're, they're, they're sons of a carpenter, which was not a prosperous occupation in their day. James would have known what it was, what it was like to struggle financially. James would have known what it was like to have people look down upon his family because they didn't live in the, in the best neighborhood. In fact, the Bible even says that, that people, people would say that about Jesus when they found out where Jesus came from, that he was from this little hick town, little poor place called Nazareth. They would say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Jesus knows what it, what it feels like to be looked down because of his economic status, looked down upon. Uh, they would have grown up in a tiny house before tiny houses were cool. <laughs> All right? it, wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't cool. They didn't have a TV show. They had a pretty large family. We think five siblings, you know, something like that at least. And they're probably all living in this one-room house. James knew the sting of poverty. He was, he was, he was well acquainted with poor people being treated poorly. So when he sees that creeping into the church, James is upset. He is ticked off. He confronts the church and he calls it sin. Now, as I've been contemplating this passage for a few weeks now, thinking about the message today, I've given a lot of thought to the way our financial state can often impact our state of mind. As I mentioned, I grew up in a, in a, a family, single mom, four kids, and uh, Although my mom worked very hard, most of her life, multiple jobs to make sure our, our needs were met, there was no doubt in our minds that we were always in a financial struggle. And what that did to me was it caused me to walk around with a chip, a chip on my shoulder. I had a bad attitude toward anyone who I thought maybe had more money than we did. I had a really skewed view of money and anyone that I perceived as rich what happened is that our poverty became a part of my identity. And then because of our struggle, I felt like I had less worth, less value than some of my friends. I felt like I just judged rich people really hard. And I said, you know what? If they've got money, they're, they're greedy, they're entitled, they're privileged. I judged them because of their financial status. Now, James is rebuking the rich people in his church for judging the poor people but my sin of judging the rich people was just as bad as their sin. Does that make sense to you? As Christians, we cannot assess anyone's value based upon their bank account. Amen? It, yeah, it happens in the world, but it cannot happen in the church. Judging anyone based on their financial status is wrong, whether they be rich or poor. Now, some folks who are here today, maybe you are like I was. Maybe your financial struggle has become a part of your identity and it's made you bitter. Again, I get it. I've lived it. And there's probably no worse time for someone who's struggling financially than at Christmas time. Christmas puts this huge financial burden upon us. And if you're already struggling, now you've got to come up with a bunch of extra money. And if you've got kids, you really want to bless them, but it seems like it's never enough. And maybe they have friends who get all the latest uh, toys and great gadgets and all that stuff. And you're struggling just to buy socks and underwear. Has anyone ever felt the financial sting of Christmas? 
It can be tough, right? And you just feel like, oh, I, I, I have failed my family. These, these struggles, they're, they're real. And if we're not careful, our financial state can have a huge impact on our state of mind. And I just want to tell somebody who's struggling this morning, your bank account has nothing to do with how valuable you are in the eyes of God. Amen. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. We don't know why some people have been entrusted with more wealth than others. We, we, we don't. I mean, there are some financial principles and some things some people understand and some things other people don't understand. But, but, but at the end of the day, I mean, we see huge, you know, separation between the rich and the poor in our nation, and that continues to grow. And, and part of that is, is, is a mystery of life. We, we don't understand it all, but we must never view our lack of money as a lack of the love of God. And for those of us who are prospering, we've got to be careful that we don't see our abundance as somehow, <clears throat> wow, God must really be blessing me. Watch yourself. <laughs> you got to watch yourself if you have that kind of attitude. But if we're prospering, we don't have to be ashamed of it. We ought to be thankful for it. Can you say amen? We ought to be grateful. But we ought to also be humbled. Wow, God, you've entrusted me. With, with some wealth, with some resources, with some influence, whatever he's entrusted you with, you ought to see yourself as then a steward of it and take seriously the Christian mandate of generosity. We are managers for God and we are givers for God. If you've felt the sting of poverty, I just want to encourage you to ask God to heal you of that. Ask him to renew your mind. Ask him to change the way you think about money and the way you think about people who have some money. You know what helped me? Was I got around some really fine people who had some resources, and I discovered that they were some of the hardest working, most godly, most generous people I had ever met. And their goodness began to heal that chip on my shoulder. And as I grew in the word of God, I also saw that money in itself is not evil. It can be a great tool for good in this earth. Can you say amen? Now, it must never be worshipped as God, but it can be used by God to do great things. So again, if you're struggling financially today, I just want to encourage you. Don't have a chip on your shoulder. Don't let your bank account determine your worth or your value. And don't resent those who have more than you title of this message this morning is Chipped Shoulders and Swollen Heads. Chipped Shoulders and Swollen Heads. Now, I'm from West Virginia. We got a saying in West Virginia. If someone starts to get a little too big for their britches, a little too prideful, we say, oh, you better watch, you're getting a big head. Anyone ever use that? Four of you. In the first service, no one had ever heard of that before, so thank you for those who are participating. But we would say that about people. Wow, you're getting a swollen head. You're getting a, you're getting a big head. You're getting prideful. And this is what was going on in the church of Jerusalem. We had some poor people with some chipped shoulders, but we had some rich people with some big heads, some swollen heads, because money can be, not always, but it can be deceitful. It can make us think that you know, we're better than someone else. It can make us think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Anyone ever watch that show, House Hunters? I warned you at the beginning, you had to participate in the service. 
Anyone ever watch a show, House Hunters? Raise your hand. Some of you wouldn't raise your hand for a free biscuit. I don't know what that means. But anyway, House Hunters is one of Patty and I's favorite shows. We love to watch it. But the other night, man, there was a couple on there from Annapolis. It got my attention. I'm watching it. And they're young. They're good looking. And, and, and their budget was like a million dollars. And she was a hat designer. And he was an umbrella consultant or something like that. How do these people afford this kind of stuff? And I'm, I'm not mad at them because they were buying a million-dollar house. Honestly, I'm not. I'm not upset about them. But I, but I was upset how arrogant. They were like two spoiled brats, and they're fighting amongst one another. Well, I want a water view, and I want a gym, and I want this. And they're just going back and forth and back and forth. And they were arrogant because of their money. They thought more highly of themselves because they had a little something. When the show was over, like, I need a shower. Like, I just felt dirty. Like, it was, just, it was just awful to watch. What had happened to them? Their prosperity had become part of their identity. And just as the Bible warns that our poverty shouldn't be part of our identity, neither should our prosperity. Look at James 1 for a moment. Let's just go back one chapter. Verse 9. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation... But the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass and its flower falls and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. James says to us all, whether rich or poor, one day, everything we work for, everything we covet, the stuff we spend our lives pursuing, one day, all of that is going to wither like dead grass. Therefore, it's foolish to build our lives either on poverty or prosperity. On the contrary, we need to be building our lives on eternal things. We need to be laying up treasures in heaven. We need to find our worth and our value in our identity in the truth that we are loved by God and His love has nothing to do with our financial status. Yes, the world system worships wealth. It worships power. It bows down to the God of money. But in the kingdom of God, we worship God and we worship God alone. The world system is crumbling around us, but the kingdom of our God shall have no end. We got to be drawn back. We got to get our priorities straight that we don't fall in love with the world system and the things that they value. So to the struggling, don't, get, don't have a chip on your shoulder because of your struggle. To the prospering, don't get a big head because of your prosperity. Money is a horrible God. And it's an awful thing to find your worth in. That's, that's what James was dealing with. But this morning, for just, for just a few moments, let's zoom out. Everyone say zoom out. Let's zoom out and look at the bigger issue of partiality. Because you, you and I, I mean, let's be honest, we don't only assess value to one another based upon our bank accounts. We don't, we don't only judge people based upon, you know, how much money they have. We, we, we are brutal. We, we judge one another by our physical appearance, how, 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 how tall we are, how, how much we weigh, body types we have, hairstyle, nose, <laughs> 
facial hair. I mean, we are, don't stop looking at me that way. You know I'm telling the truth. We are brutal. As soon as we meet somebody, we start sizing them up, comparing ourselves to them. Well, he might be taller than me, but I'm this. Blah, 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 blah. We, are, we are awful. <laughs> we, we judge one another by what kind of car we drive, which is absolutely stupid, but we do it anyway. We judge people by their occupation. We judge them by their spouses. We're so cruel. We'll judge them by their kids. Look how well-behaved my kids are. Look at, their, look at their brats. Right? We do. I mean, we're just awful. We'll judge people by their pets. Somehow the type of dog you have makes you a better person. That's crazy. Unless you have one of those little yappy dogs. Let's make it local. Let's, let's, we zoomed out. Let's zoom in a minute. How about, you know what we do in Garrett County? We judge one another by what end of the county we're from. Where'd you go to school? Well, I went to Northern. Northern? <laughs> Bro, it's like 15 miles up the road. <laughs> oh, you're a Southern boy. We make 12 assessments in our mind when we find out what a high school someone went to. Some of us think the 219 bridge is like the North and South Korean border. <laughs> Y'all, I mean, it's crazy. Someone say it's crazy. And then we do this, we do this, we, 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 we find out someone lives at the lake and we go, oh, they're a lake person. What does that mean? They live four miles from you. But we judge them hard because they're a lake person or uh, uh, Toron. But do you know what the tourists say about you? They call you a local. <laughs> and that means a lot. <laughs> Come on, you know I'm preaching. Some of us, we judge people by the oh, a Ford or a Chevy man. I proudly drive a Toyota Charlie McCloskey. <laughs> Steelers or Ravens. Conservative or liberal. Mask or no mask. Some of you will fight, you will kill someone over the mask on both sides of the aisle. Like we are, we just, we just judge people and assess people all the time. It's embarrassing to admit how quickly we size one another up and we assess value. And it's all based upon temporary, external things. And this is the bigger issue that God's dealing with in James 2. The sin of partiality, prejudice, favoritism. If you and I really want to be like Jesus, and we do, right? We're going to resist the urge to judge someone by external things, and we are going to take the time to get to know their hearts. I, I think of when Israel wanted a king, and God told the prophet Samuel, he said, Samuel, he said, I want you to go over to Jesse's house. Jesse has eight sons, and, and I want you to anoint the new king. And, and Jesse lined up seven of his sons, the strongest, the tallest, the best looking, the ones who had the best physique, the ones he, that he thought showed the, the most kingly potential. He didn't even put David in the lineup. David, he said, oh, just leave him out there. Let him tend the sheep. And, and here, comes, 
Here comes the prophet Samuel. He looks at this lineup of these fine young men, seven of them, and he's impressed. Even the prophet of God is impressed by what he looks at. And he says, wow, Lord, he said, this, this one's tall. He says, he's, he's tall, dark, and handsome. He's got to be the, the new king. I'm going to anoint him. And God said, no, I haven't chosen him. He said, what? Well, he looks at the other one, and he's, he's built like, I mean, he's just, he's ripped, and he's got abs and, and broad shoulders. And he, he says, Lord, this one is, is good looking. He's tough. He's a warrior. I'm going to anoint him. And the Holy Spirit says, no. He goes through all seven sons, and the Holy Spirit said, no, 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 no. And, and, and he finally says, don't you have any other kids? He said, yeah, I got, I got, I got a little David out there in the field. Bring him in. And when David comes, he doesn't, he doesn't look great. He's not impressive. And God said, that is the one. And 1 Samuel 16 and verse 7 says, For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Most of the conflict in our world right now would melt away if we took the time to look at someone's heart. Maybe we can't convince the entire world to do that, but certainly, as followers of Jesus, we should and we must. Things like favoritism, partiality, racism, they are all sin in the eyes of God and should never be a part of the life of any Christian. Can you say amen this morning? See, partiality is an injustice. And we know the world spends a lot of time trying to fix injustice, but their answers only lead to more partiality. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed that or not. It's so, it's so weird. The world's answer is this. Hey, this group of people is oppressed so let's punish this group of people so we can make it more fair for this group of people. That doesn't make sense. All you've done is shifted the partiality. It's impossible to show partiality to one person without dishonoring another person. As soon as we do that, as soon as we play favorites, we are dishonoring someone else. I mean, look at the mess we've been through here since March and, and, and when government decided who got to go to work and who didn't, who was essential and who wasn't essential. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's ridiculous to even think about. But like, we let big box stores remain open. And, and what we said to big box stores is, we're going to trust you with the lives of, say, I don't know, I'm pulling this number out, of, with 1,500 people a day. You can handle them. But what we said to a mom and pop store is, but we don't trust you with the lives of, 10 people a day. What the government do? It played favorites, and now one-fifth, 20% of small businesses in America are shut down. That's an injustice. It wasn't a virus that did that. It was the government response to a virus. How about this one? Where some states today, you can go to a casino today, but you can't go to church. That's not... What? That's not following science. That's partiality. State gets a lot of revenue from casinos. Churches are tax exempt. Can anyone follow them? Follow the money. But I'm just showing you, I'm not trying to get real political today, but I'm just trying to show you what happens as soon as you play favorites. You're dishonoring someone else. And James says, hey, the world might act like that, but come on, we can't do that in the church. 
The answer, though, is, is not new laws. It's not new programs. The answer is God's law of love. Love your neighbor as yourself. Look at everyone you see through the eyes of Christ. Even if they look different than you, even if they dress differently than you, even if they vote differently than you, come on. Even if they have more money than you or less money than you. We are to see them through the eyes of Jesus Christ. What's the answer to all this? It's the gospel. To me, one of the greatest difference makers in the Christian faith, when you truly understand it, is this. Apart from Christ, you and I, all of us, we're bankrupt beggars. Apart from Christ, we are bankrupt morally and spiritually apart from Christ. And if I truly understand this about myself, then there's no way that I'm going to walk through life looking down on anyone else. And if I truly understand my own sin and then my redemption, pride should never be the result of that. It should always result in humility. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the great equalizer. There's an old saying that says, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. For Christians, we don't build thrones for ourselves or celebrities or wealth or power. Instead, we all bow down before the throne of Jesus. He's the one who's worthy. He's the one who is full of glory. He's the one who deserves our praise, our worship, and our adoration. Friends, we got to make a concerted effort this year to see Jesus and Jesus only is the king of our lives and then see everyone else through his eyes. Let's take a moment. Let's do a little introspection here. I said earlier that this applies to all of us, and it does. I've been studying this passage over the last couple of weeks, man. Holy Spirit is convicting me left and right. Like, you know, you walk into Walmart. It's a great opportunity to have the Holy Spirit work in your life. But how do we, we see people dressed a certain way? We judge them. Some of us driving into church today, we saw some cars and we go, wow. I wonder, who, I wonder who drives that, man. They're, they're blessed. They're prospering. Favor of God's on them, man. I'd like to have a car like that. And then we probably saw some cars and we were like, ugh, so glad I'm not driving that thing. That's kind of ugly, isn't it? <laughs> but followers of Jesus would think like that, but yet we do. When we take a moment and bow our heads and close our eyes, I just want you to be honest with yourself. Is there anyone you feel better than? Is there anyone you, you say, not out loud, but to yourself, man, I, I'm glad I'm not like them. Brothers and sisters, that's a sin. It's a sin when I do it. It's a sin when you do it. Is anybody you look down upon? Just ask, ask the Lord to help you. Ask Him to help you see everybody through the eyes of Christ. Jesus died for that person. Just like He died for you, He died for that person. Maybe you're here today and you got that chip on your shoulder. It's time to lay that down. You got a chip on the shoulder because of what family you came from or what neighborhood you grew up in or how much money you had or maybe it was something about your physical appearance you didn't like. 
You just had that, you just got that chip on your shoulder, and it, it impacts your relationships with people. Both, both of these things we're talking about are, are things that, that hurt us. The, the chip or the swollen head, either one. God wants to heal us of those things. Lord God, we want to be a, a people, an ever-growing church in our community that treats people, all people, with dignity and value and honor and respect and love. God, help us never to get puffed up. No matter how much you entrust us with, no matter how big we get or how much money we have, or any, none of that stuff matters. God, help us to be a church that's welcoming, that's loving, and, and not just here, but in our homes and in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces and in our schools. Let us look for the lowly and let us go to that person. Let us look for the down and out. Let us look for the underdog and, and, and let us not oppress someone else, but just reach out to them and lift them up. Be a blessing, be an encouragement. God, we want to be a church like that. We give you thanks and we give you praise. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said.